there's, there's just so much damage that's being done in the body of Christ today with erroneous teaching about faith and healing. And I'm gonna try to address that this morning. I feel like, uh, you know, for sure I'm not the young guy anymore. That's dawning on me. I was, at a, I was with some guys in Haiti, about 20 guys, and one of them referred to you older guys. And I looked around the table and I, I realized I, I was one of three that was, you know, three oldest guys. And I, I thought, wow. And then who was it? Troy Jones said maybe, you, you know, look up to an old guy like Stan or something like that. It's, it's happening to me where it's being spoken, but... You know, I just want to embrace it. It's cool. I love every stage of life. I'm going to love this one. But what's happening to me as a person is I'm, I'm not the young, creative, cool guy. I'm, I'm not even have that brother mentality anymore. Something's happened to me where I'm thinking more like a daddy these days. And as a pastor, the way I'm feeling is I really want to bless you guys and encourage you and help you and protect you. That's that daddy heart. And I believe he gives pastors that heart. And what you're hearing today... <clears throat> Um, <clears throat> will have a lot to do with protecting your heart and life from erroneous things that will hurt you. When I think of healing, I think of the balance of the scriptures, right? Because you've heard me say that it takes two or three scriptures to make a solid doctrine. And, and really, the best doctrines are formed this way. It's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament, and Jesus said it. That's as solid as it gets in the scriptures. However, even with that, the truth of that. You can take four, five, ten scriptures apart from the balance of the rest of the scriptures and try to act like that's a doctrine with ten scriptures and you're emphasizing just one part that's out of balance. Uh, Meaning this, which wing of the airplane is the most important? Yeah, I think you want them both, right? Probably because it's not going to go well without them both. So, so you know, word and spirit, you got to balance those things. You, you, you got to have balance in life. And the balance of the scriptures are important so we don't crash and burn. For instance, David danced in his underwear. That's in the scriptures. And he was a happy guy when he did it. He did it in public. And Jesus was in his, was in his underwear on the cross when they stripped him. So maybe we should start a ministry called Saints in Their Skivvies, uh, you know, but if you look at the rest of the scriptures that talk about modesty, you know, and I know that's a ridiculous example, but the point is you can make dumb doctrines out of stuff in the Bible if you don't have balance. So today, we're going to look at the word and try to find balance concerning this truth of healing. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in a powerful way today in our hearts, Jesus, you are our healer. And we want the truth of your word to show your love for us. But Lord, um, sometimes you, you know, God, that there are people who make others feel guilty if they, if they don't think just right concerning these things. And I believe you'd want to address that. So would you help us find the balance of the truth of your word concerning faith and healing? I ask this humbly in Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at the story in Mark 5. If you have a Bible, you can just... Uh, Maybe put that little ribbon in there and refer back and forth as we look at this. But here's what it says. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay for them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. Well, this point is even good people go through suffering. Let me say, because there's a weird thing going on out there that uh, I want to address this thing about doctors. And this kind of looks negative here, but there are scriptures in the Bible. As a matter of fact, I have an insert that will show you some of them at the bottom of them called Divine Healing. It says something about doctors at the bottom. Doctors are good. For the most part, all 
Uh, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. All, all true knowledge comes from God. And, and, and if it's true, God knew it, right? So God's given even doctors wisdom, uh, and we can use that wisdom without worrying that we're hurting faith. I believe in prayer, I believe in faith, but go to the doctor, verify healing, and know that God can heal you even through a doctor, since he brought that into play, right? Doctors are not bad, they're good. And Michael Johnson said, amen, all right? Um, but we know that doctors have uh, limited uh, knowledge, ability, and resources, even as much as they know now. I mean, I can't imagine how people 100 years ago made it through some of the simplest things. They didn't, they just died. But now we have knowledge that the Lord's helped us with in doctors, and it's, it's great. And yet still, it's limited. Well, Jesus is the great physician, so we can go to the doctor, but we can appeal to the great physician too to bring, to bring his healings, his healing and his healings. So, so why do we suffer? Why are there hard things that happen uh, to believers? Well, <clears throat> the short answer is because we're not in heaven yet. This is not a place that, uh, I, I, the, the way to think of it is this way. The kingdom of God, which it talks about all through the New Testament, as a matter of fact, when you read the New Testament this coming year in your Bible reading, notice how often it says the kingdom of God. You could almost make a case for it that that is the theme of the New Testament, the kingdom of God. And here's the thing about the kingdom of God. It is both now and not yet. Let me explain that. When Jesus came, he, he ushered uh, principles of the kingdom uh, and brought it to this earth. And that means that we can appropriate what, in, what is in heaven, that there, healing can happen and blessing can happen and we could pray it down from heaven. And it's now that we have some elements of the kingdom in place, but it's not yet in the sense that when Jesus sets his foot down on Mount Olive and comes back to restore this earth and rule and reign over this earth, and I'm doing a series on the end times uh, coming up later this year that I'm kind of excited about, and I'll get into that more later. But it's only when he comes back in that way, the second coming of Christ, that we see the full coming of the kingdom of God. So it's both now where we can appropriate elements of it, but it's not yet in the sense that everything's not perfect. And here's what I mean. That there's crying and pain and tears and death. And the Bible says in Revelation that the old order of things will pass away when Jesus comes back and there'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more tears, no, no more death. So we can appropriate elements of the kingdom today, but we're not gonna see it fully until Jesus comes back. This poor woman has gone through 12 years of pain. Disappointment, and it looks like it's one right after the other. To the point where it sounds like she lost all of her money trying to get restored. Twelve years of pain and yet Jesus is about to heal her. Twelve years is a long time. And I want to say to some of you, I just think it's important to say that you may be going through something physically that you don't understand. Uh, we have a tendency, you know, we're a microwave generation to, to try it and pray and it didn't work. And so 12 hours later we drop it and say God didn't want to do that. Twelve years. And she comes to Jesus, and, and this time, God brings healing. You may be close to your breakthrough in prayer. Don't, don't give up. Just keep praying. What have you got to lose to keep trusting and asking? I, I just want to point out that <clears throat> there are places in the scriptures, I want you to, to know the difference between healing and a miracle, because we talk about them as the same, but they're not mentioned as the same in the Bible. Healing can be progressive. So God can actually touch us and our healing begin one day and it could end two years later. 
that he, he could progressively, and God does that sometimes because he has purpose in the progression of it. Something that he's teaching us along the way. A miracle is instantaneous. Healing is progressive at times. It can be a miraculous healing, but miracle means instantaneous right now. And so when we pray for healing, we need to understand that sometimes the way he'll answer is, is progressively. I, I think of Mark 8, uh, where the blind man, they prayed for him and they said, can you see now? And he, say, I, he said, I see men walking around his trees, which meant his vision was somewhat restored. And they prayed again, and then he saw completely, and his eyes were opened completely. So there is <clears throat> there's something uh, of progressiveness that was happen, happening there. And then the blind man in John Nine, uh, let's, let's look at that. It's on the screen for you. As he went along, he's talking about Jesus, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It's a mistake to think sometimes that bad things have happened to us because God's upset at us. Not at all the case here when this guy is blind. Look and see, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. And I'm sure the man was thinking at that moment, isn't there another way? Uh, But sometimes it's kind of messy what the Lord takes us through, and he has purpose even in that. Verse 7, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. And that word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. And I I just want to talk about healing for a moment and suffering and and some erroneous thoughts that are out there about, about faith. Uh, faith is, is definitely an element that we need, but, but there's been a correlation and an attachment to it that is dangerous that I want to I speak to today. So they ask who would sin, and, and God said, neither. But it happened to bring glory to, to the Father this day. Sometimes healing is about God's timing. Think of this. This guy was blind uh, all those years from birth, and then on a certain day, Jesus brought his healing when he came into contact with Jesus. And Jesus said, this happened from way back to bring glory to the Father today. Sometimes the healing isn't right when we want it, but God has an appointed time for things he wants to do, and we just need to trust. Not only that, but there are places in the Bible, and this is where we have to look at balance. There are places in the Bible where prayers are offered up by great men of God and women of God, and they're not answered in the way that they wanted or the way that they had hoped. If you look at Job and his trial, do you think when his kids were dying one right after the other that he wasn't offering prayers up to God? And, and God, God didn't answer his prayer the way he'd hoped. God had purpose in a, in a massive, uh, intense trial. Job's wife said she got upset and didn't handle it the right way. She didn't trust, and she said, why don't you just curse God and die? But Job said, though he slay me, I'll trust him. I I want you to see that there's an element to your life that's really important that is similar to faith, but it's not the same. As a matter of fact, it's a partner too, and it's called trust. Hebrews 11, in the first part of the chapter by faith, they, they believed something and it was brought into existence. Abraham and all, all those mentioned, Noah in that passage. But the second half of the faith chapter had people who lived by faith when they died. What? I'll read that scripture to you in a moment. And they trusted God even though they weren't able to see it until they got to heaven. <clears throat> 
That element of trust is, in the, I mean, <clears throat> those people in the second half of Hebrews 11 were living by faith as well. Faith is a two-sided coin. One side that says I believe and the other side that says I trust when I don't see it. Because God is good and he has some purpose beyond what I understand and I will trust him even though I don't get it. How about the place, you know, the word of faith people never talk a whole lot about Paul and his thorn in the flesh. Remember that? He prayed three times. There's something going on in his body. It was a hindrance to him. And the man of God who gave us two-thirds of the New Testament written through him, penned by the Holy Spirit, two-thirds of the New Testament, pretty sure he's a man of faith, prayed three times for something to be removed that was physically hindering him, and it wasn't. And God, beyond that, spoke to him and said, "Um, I, I brought this into your life to humble you, and my grace is sufficient for you. Meaning, I'll give you the strength to endure it, but I'm not going to remove it. What? Well, the, the word of faith people have trouble, uh, and that's a certain, what I believe is erroneous doctrine, and again, I'm gonna speak to that further. But look at Jesus in the garden. Now, I, I believe we need faith, and I'm gonna bring this around. I'm not gonna leave it depressed in a depressing state, but I'm trying to bring balance to what's out there that's erroneous, and it hurts people, and that's why I wanna address it. People have been hurt, and I've been watching it for years, by, by others saying, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> by others saying, if you would just have faith, it would happen. Well, it, sh- it can shipwreck faith to, 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 uh, to make people believe that there's just a, a direct correlation between us believing in our minds through positive thinking that that is the key. The will of God, the sovereignty of God is part of it as well. And he has reasons for things. Jesus in the garden, when he was going to the cross, what did he say? If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What he meant is, I prefer not to have nails in my hands and feet. I'm not a masochist, right? But nevertheless, what did he pray? And he prayed, and this is faith too. Not my will, but thine be done. Said that he endured the cross for the joy set before him, despising the pain. He didn't like it. There are people who believe this erroneous doctrine of, uh, you, you know, word of faith that would say, anytime you say, not my will but thine be done, that you have a lack of faith. And I want to say, really? Really? So Jesus had a lack of faith then when he said, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. And let me remind you that the route he wanted it to go at the very moment he prayed, what he was feeling in his humanity, even though he was God, is that he didn't want all this pain, didn't, didn't, wasn't all that excited about what lay before him. It wasn't just the pain, but it was the weight of the, the sins of the world that would be laid upon his back. And the father, maybe the hardest part is knowing that the father who can't, who, who can't cohabitate with sin would turn away and, and, and wouldn't be able to look because the sin was all laid upon the back of his only son who'd never sinned. He bore our sins. Jesus, knowing all this is coming, and he prayed, not my will, but thine be done, and he was willing to endure something on our, be- on our benefit, for our behalf. Was he having a lack of faith in that moment? I don't think so. You don't have to be afraid to say, not my will, but thine be done. Father, we want your will. Because there's an element of trust attached to it. It doesn't do damage to faith. As a matter of fact, it might have a greater element of faith attached to it because now you're trusting in his sovereignty and not your own. There are people who say, they take a scripture out of context and they'll say that we can command God to do what we want him to do. Really? Well, how would you feel if your four-year-old comes up to you and say, I demand that you do this and you must do it right now. What's the difference between that and, a, and an attitude that comes and says, Mommy, Daddy, 
could you help me with this? And we're going to God and saying, you got to do what I want. And who's in charge when we do that? Really? The right way to address your need is to pray that God would heal and then trust him come what may. Trust his sovereignty. Trust that he has some purpose. I believe this. I really believe it, that if he doesn't heal when I pray for healing, he must have something in mind that's greater than I can understand. Because I believe he's just good and he wants to heal. And so I want to trust him even though I don't understand. And believe me, there are times I do not understand. Right? You too, if you're honest. But the best thing you can do is trust. Just keep trusting. Did you know that when it comes to uh, pain in our lives, psychologists say that it takes 10 years to really evaluate a major crisis in your life. Ten years removed from it to look back and see what it was all about and, how it, and what it meant contextually. Well, just if, and, and I believe there's some truth to that. At least we know that when we get further down the road, we get it. Haven't you ever done that? You prayed for something, it didn't happen, and you say, God, what's the deal? And a few years later, you go, oh, I see. I didn't know. I was talking to someone the other day whose child didn't want to move to a certain location and fought it like crazy. And then when she got there, eventually she met her future husband. I said, has she apologized to you yet, to the parents? We, we just don't know. Some of what we consider trial in the wrong way, and he's the one who knows, right? And ultimately, now I'll wrestle with God sometimes. I hope I'm wrestling less and less in my life. But ultimately, I hope we could all land in this place. God, I want what you want for me more than I want what I want for myself. You see the trust and the faith in that? I want what you have willed for my life more than I want what I want for my life because ultimately, I know you, you wouldn't do anything that wouldn't be good for me or for others through me. Are we willing to endure like Jesus did, a season of trial so that others might be blessed as they look at our lives and how God worked in our lives through that season? I would venture to say, and I don't know that I've ever said it this way before, but I would, I would venture to say that there are some people who've gone through deep trials that know more about how God can meet you in the darkest hour and a depth of maturity that goes beyond what many of us could ever know. I said to a brother the other day, a pastor who'd been through the Just a huge trial, unbelievable. Out of the ministry for a long season for for reasons that that were just unfounded and wrong and painful. I said to him, bro, you know something I don't know. You know in the depth of those moments how God has met you and I'm telling you, it's a testimony and God will bring that forth out of you to, to bless others' lives. And some of you have gone through deep trials. It is not going to be wasted you are going to proclaim it before many. And they're going to say, if God can help her through that, he can certainly help me through what I'm going through. And they'll look to him. Isaiah 26.3, I think it's cool in this passage that at one point he calls her daughter. You know, in those days, remember... Jesus hadn't been crucified and salvation in its fullness had not come. They're living in the Old Testament covenant as Jesus walked the earth. When Jesus dies and he's risen, we move into a new covenant where now you must accept him into your heart and life. But he's showing them who he is and people are starting to recognize this is the Messiah. 
But he, he calls her daughter and it says that he gave her peace at the end of that story. The, the amazing thing about God is he can give you peace when he delivers you, but he can give you peace in the midst of the storm. I mean, didn't he speak to that storm? I spoke about that recently and said, peace be still. And I believe that in our journey, if he has purpose, one of the things we need greatly is peace. And it says this in Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. It's that word trust. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. And as you go through a trial, if it's not now, maybe it's 12-year wait, maybe it's, like this guy at the pool of Salome, maybe God has ordained that miracle for a certain day, but, but then he's just up to other things like he was with Jesus to bless others' lives as you go through a trial. I guess what I'm saying is there's many ways that he can show himself and many things he can do and we just don't get it all sometimes. You know Pastor Jenny Smith, right? She's upstairs with the children right now. I'm telling you, Jenny's a woman of God and I'm, I'm, I'm completely impressed with her and I totally love her for who she is. Jenny went through deep trials as a young child and uh, it, it created a speech impediment because she had uh, an ear infection that caused some damage and she was uh, mercilessly made fun of. And um, now, you know, not only has she overcome that impediment, but but she's one of my favorite preachers here. I mean, I like to have her speak a couple times of years because that girl can bring it. And, I, and, and here's what I, one of the things I love about her. She knows the word of God. I mean, she knows it. Did you know it's harder to make mistakes? You can still make mistakes, right? You can still interpret. But it's a lot harder to make mistakes when you know the word of God, when you're in it and you study it to show yourself approved. She's one of those people that does that. And when she speaks, she doesn't just speak from a reservoir and a well that's almost dry. She speaks from a reservoir that's full because she's, she knows the word of God. She studied the word of God. She's a licensed preacher, right? The Assemblies of God does that. We recognize her as such. God can use women in amazing ways. And if you don't believe it, you're just messed up. And God uses her. And I, I love it. She's got a really gentle spirit. And she's kind, and yet she can bring truth in a straight way. And I, I think it's so cool when she preaches and she carries that gentle spirit, but then she'll just speak directly to something with the scripture. I think the combination of those two things makes it a unique and special application in people's lives because from gentleness and kindness comes truth that is straight ahead. And I really like the effect that the Lord uses in her life. As a matter of fact, isn't it interesting that we brought Donnie Moore and then in a couple weeks we're bringing Dick Foth. Do you know two people that are more different than Donnie Moore and Dick Foth? And yet I think it's so cool. They've come back year after year here for the whole existence of time. I've been here 19 years on March 14th as your senior pastor. Uh, so this month, it's, it's coming up. And these guys have come back almost every year. You know, uh, one is professor-like and relational and, and the other is prophet-like and intense, right? And they're both humorous and fun. But they're completely themselves and the Lord uses them. I like it when Jenny's completely herself. I just want you to know this. One of the reasons I bring Dick and Donnie year after year is so you can know that, that you can be exactly who you are. That there's lots of ways God does things and if you'll be yourself, God will use that better than anything else you'd try to be. Because he didn't mess up when he made you. 
and you're unique and you're wonderful the way you are. Just accept who he made you and lean into that and watch him flow through your life. Here's Jenny's story. Ask her to write it down. She said, as a small child, I suffered from constant severe infections in my ear. My mom recalls that I would often lay awake at night in pain. Our doctor felt that there was no warrant for medication for my ear infections. He grew weary of seeing me and finally told my mom not to bring me back. Having no means to go elsewhere for help, my mom turned to the home remedies of her Ozark Mountain uh, kin, it says. Though they brought relief, these remedies, uh, to my pain, they did not stop the infections. I would fall asleep to the sound of fluid in my ear. My parents were unaware of the damage that was being done. A clue came as I grew but didn't begin communicating. My big sister stepped in and did all the talking for me. Since I was extremely shy, I didn't mind this arrangement at all. As I entered kindergarten, all would be brought to light with the teachers taking notice of my lack of communication. And my dad's new employment that brought health insurance, I was sent to a specialist. I now know that by that point, my eardrum was perforated. It had burst, leaving a large hole. And that two of my three inner ear bones in my right ear were gone, and the final one was melded to the eardrum. This left me with 85% hearing loss in my right ear. Though the final bone was melded to my eardrum, it was still vibrating, which a doctor then told me was miraculous. It was miraculous that I could hear out of that ear at all. You could only imagine, she said, my excitement as a young child when I heard at church about how Jesus can heal our sicknesses. I believe with my whole heart that God loved me and wanted to heal me. I prayed often and was prayed over by many people from my church throughout my childhood years, but never received the healing that I hoped for. I remember struggling with why God had chosen not to heal me. I wondered at times if he loved me. It was especially painful when I'd see others around me receiving healing. I thought I must be sinning or not have enough faith for God to heal me. One night as an adult, I prayed to God asking why I wasn't receiving my healing. I got a response that I wasn't looking for. God said, have I not already given you everything you need? In that moment, I thought I needed 100% good hearing in my right ear to be happy and successful in this life. I thought that I needed to be able to talk without a slur in my S sound in order to be taken seriously. The Holy Spirit reminded me of the words from the doctor who said, it's a miracle that that bone still vibrates. God had been watching over me from the beginning. I'd already received my miracle. It was all I needed for this life that God had planned for me. That's really wise, that word. The life that God has planned for you. I can't hear fully, she says, like most people, but God has used that to make me more effective in my ministry. It is my story. It's her testimony. This journey that I walked has made me who I am. Though it was painful, it produced many good things in my life. Pastor Jenny Smith from our own church. Honestly, I, I guess you can hear the S thing. I, I never heard it till she said that, but I heard it after she said that. And yet she's a humble woman of God that the Lord is using in incredible ways and he's using her story. I'm just saying, when you can't track him, you can still trust him. Write that down. 
I'm saying that trust is a huge element that should be attached to faith. Isaiah 55, 8 says this. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. Now, wait a minute. This is God speaking to you and I and everybody else. I know a lot of people who pretty much think all their thoughts are exactly identical to God's thoughts. Do you know anybody like that? Might be us every now and then. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. This is God saying this. Says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Do you know what he's saying to us? Trust me, I know. When we get mad at God and we say to him, you're not doing right, who's thinking wrong, God or us? When Pastor Roger says God is good and you guys say, you know what he's saying? Even in the trials and the hardships, we can remind ourselves and know that he's good and he'll work something for good out of this. Just keep trusting. That's what that statement is saying. The lady in this scripture waited 12 years. She couldn't track him, but she still trusted Jesus and her healing came. Now, second thought, and I'm kind of on it already. When it comes to healing, faith is a major factor in its happening. So even though people erroneously produce a doctrine out of faith that can do damage, it doesn't mean that in, in its purest sense, faith is still important. Verse 27, chapter 5 of Mark She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. So again, uh, trying to bring balance to this faith thing. Let me speak to it, and I'll come back to believing God to bring his healing. This is a church that has faith that Jesus heals. This is not a word of faith church. Word of faith is a doctrine that I believe is erroneous and can shipwreck faith. Word of faith is a teaching that says Jesus must do what I tell him to do. It does not take into account the will of God and the mitigating circumstances that God may use to grow his children and to bring glory to his name. With healthy faith, now let's talk about what healthy faith is, The key is a belief in an all-powerful, compassionate, loving God. That is the key when you pray for healing. He's an all-powerful, loving, compassionate God who has his heart towards you. But in word of faith, the key is my personal ability to believe God. If you think I'm getting a little off here, now now, I just want to tell you, uh, excuse me, I'm Pentecostal. Which means that I believe that all the things in the Bible, the gifts that are mentioned in the Bible, healing and, and, and even a prayer language, that it's, that it's, that it's for believers today. Um, and, and there's a difference between Pentecostal and charismatic. I'm not going to get into that today. But I believe that everything should be anchored to the word no matter what. You know, I'm categorized as a Pentecostal, but to me it just means, you know, everything in God's word is for us today. The gifts are for today. But, but if you think I'm kind of off, because this church, you know, I'm, I'm Assemblies of God, I'm licensed with the Assemblies of God, um, and that's a network of 200 churches here in Oregon, but there are 10,000 churches uh, in, in the United States, almost 11,000 now, and, and worldwide there's 50 million Assemblies of God people. 
And the Lord's used this fellowship greatly. I believe the 16 tenets of faith. I won't go into what those, those are, but one of them's healing. Um, but I don't believe um, a lot of what's coming out of Assemblies of God churches because they can get into this word of faith thing. And that's, that's not what the Assemblies of God has taught, by the way. Some of you, Assemblies of God means nothing to you and that's okay because we're about Jesus. To others of you, though, you have roots there. And you may think, well, that's not what I've been taught. Well, let me read to you something that I think will help us all. Written by Stanley Horton. He's probably the foremost Assemblies of God, and not only that, Pentecostal theologian of our time. He's well-respected by all denominations, and this is a book that came out of the Assemblies of God called Systematic Theology, and it includes this Pentecostal doctrine. Look at what Stanley Horton said about Word of Faith. He said, Another hindrance to biblical healing is what Blue calls the faith formula that focuses not on the divine power and desire to heal, but human faith and confession. He points out that can-do American optimism has fused with Christian fundamentalism to spawn a triumphalistic theological hybrid, both attractive and dangerous. I could never write something that smart, but I can read it and it makes me feel good. And And I'm pretty sure I know what he means. He says it defines faith as if it were a technique by which one may manipulate the power of God. It promotes the sovereignty of human beings rather than the sovereignty of God. Now that's a powerful statement right there. The issue that runs the faith formula's ship aground is the absolute connection they claim to establish between faith as a cause and healing as an effect. Such a casual relationship between the two leaves little if any room for what might be called mitigating circumstances such as God's timing or chastisement, and I would add growth. And I love this next line. We deplore such reductionism. And what he's saying as a Pentecostal theologian is when you reduce it to that, I gotta say it and I'm gonna believe it and that's it, it's dumb. It's reducing something to a formula and I'm, I'm saying to you right now as a daddy over this fellowship, you be careful the way you talk to people about faith because you can run somebody's faith aground. You, you can cause them to, to leave the church and leave the faith because you say something to them in passing that you believe and you may not have meant damage, but if you say, if you believe it'll happen, it could cause some real trouble. It's dangerous. For instance, I want to tell you a story, and this may help more for, 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 for uh, you theologians. Stanley Horton helps you. For, for the rest of us, a story might help you. They go together here. I have a friend named Carl who went to this church for many years, and he's moved to another city. I met him at uh, that great business that God owns called Mashita's in downtown Tualatin, where you get some awesome teriyaki and, and um, lots of meat and a cheap price, and uh, I like that. Um, I, I, when they were in the old place um, before they moved to their new location it was just a little bitty place and you'd go in there and you'd be crammed in because people a lot of people in town five to six hundred people a day eat in this place in Tualatin and it's a Christian guy that I just love that owns it at um, Charles and uh, Sonny down there and, and but you'd be next to somebody you'd have to sit at a table like this and they're like this far from you and you're just going to meet people when you go there you know or ignore them which gets a little awkward and, and one day, I met this guy named Carl in there. And I noticed I kept meeting him over and over again. And he talked about Christianity like he knew something about it, but there was a little bit of distance that was in his stories, if that made any sense, if that makes sense to you. 
I came to understand that he used to go to church and he doesn't go anymore. And eventually, as I went back and I kept meeting him, and you know how you finally realize this is more than just chance meeting. I keep seeing this guy every time I'm here. And one day he told me that he stopped going to church because he went to a church that believed in the prosperity doctrine. And that's another erroneous doctrine, which says if you're really godly, you'll have lots of material stuff, and the Lord will show that you're blessed by having all this stuff, Mercedes and expensive stuff. And I think it's erroneous because if that would have been important, Jesus would have had all this stuff, and he didn't. Jesus, that one passage says that he had no place, the Son of Man had no place to lay his head, that he put it on a rock one night. And what, what the whole point is, he was showing us that, that laying treasures up in heaven is a lot more important than treasures on earth. I'm not, I'm not against having money, I am against money having people. And, and, uh, and, and money can have us if we're not careful. God may give you money, but he has eternal purposes if he does it. And, and money's fine, but it's the least of God's blessing. That's the way I feel. I know lots of people with money and no, no loving relationships and, and no home to go back where, where the blessing of the Lord resides. And it's just not that much when it can be empty if, if other things, uh, more important things, um, aren't there. But, but so, so he said that he had, Carl told me that he had bought, he had run his credit cards up, bought a new car, and I, I won't say the number, I think, but it was an astronomical number to prove he was blessed and go to church there every week, and, and, he, and he, he ended up having money issues. And, and then I found out another time, and so we, you know, we would talk about that, and I want to be careful. I, I believe that people who believe, now listen, People who believe word of faith and people who believe in prosperity doctrine are Christians. But to me, it's a blind spot and, and it's an erroneous doctrine that they bought into that will hurt even them someday. It won't make sense someday if you, you live your life very long as a believer if you buy into that because it's, it's just a little formula that doesn't work that way. But then he told me, this is what I'm getting to, I'm taking too long to tell it, but Carl told me one day, finally opened up and said, that he had a son that as a baby they took in to get shots and they gave him all at once and he developed this thing called um, mercury poisoning. It stunted the, the, his son's mental growth and I visited Carl's home sometime later and saw the little guy, almost a teenager weighing, I think around 45 pounds and, and didn't really know where he was and had such tremendous needs. Mom could never leave home, had to be there continually with him. And you imagine how that would break your hearts to have a healthy baby and then know that you can't find healing for this boy as much as you pray. Well, here's what happened at his church. And this is why his faith was shipwrecked. They told him if he had faith, his son would be healed. And they told him more than once. And many people spoke it. And eventually he decided that he couldn't have enough faith and God probably didn't like him as much as he liked other people. And he quit. Now you tell me about your faith. Anytime your faith doesn't have the love of God attached to it, it's not right. God is loving. That's, that's the one word definition. God is love. And he decided God didn't love him. And he quit. I'm happy to say that Eventually, he came in here, and he felt the love of God, and you loved him, and he's moved to another city now, and he's doing well. 
I wish you'd pray for Carl and his family. They're, they're, they're still in the midst of a trial. That doesn't make a lot of sense, but you know what he's doing? He's trusting God. And I, I want you to know that you must be careful. To some people, I just want to say, stop, shut up, you're hurting them. You don't have to damage faith. It's not damaging faith if you say, Lord, I don't get it, but I trust you. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That's faith too. It's not saying God won't heal. Look at, look at this. The problem with this erroneous doctrine is it elevates self's ability to believe it rather than God's sovereignty to will it. If faith of this kind worked, there'd be no sick people because all these people talking about faith would empty the hospital beds. They'd say, well, I can't because they don't have faith. What about your faith? You're saying, I mean, how many people's faith does it take? Why was the guy healed in uh, the story where he's let down through the roof? There was a big crowd. The Bible says that he was healed because of the faith of his friends. We're going to put it on others. Put it on yourself, Holy Joe. Be careful. Hebrews eleven thirteen. All these people were living by faith. Faith chapter now. These guys were martyrs who were sawn in two and killed. They were living by faith when they died. Is it possible to be living by faith when you die? Absolutely. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from the distance. See, they had heaven in mind. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. And these were commended for their faith in the faith chapter. Faith's a two-sided coin. Faith to believe and see it. Faith to trust even when I don't see it. That's faith too. And that's the way God wants us to be. And yet after saying all this, I do want you to know that God says, ask for healing. I don't think we have to do damage to faith by saying, Lord, you're good. Just like your daughter might say, Mommy, could you help me with this? And your heart is towards her. God's heart, he's loving, compassionate, and powerful. His heart is towards you. And here's what he says in James 5. If any one of you is sick, he should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up if he has sinned. He will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, after everything I have said, I, I want to come back to this balance now. Our God is so powerful and so loving, we ought to ask him for healing. We just should. John 16, 24, until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive and your joy will be complete. It's up to you to believe God, but it's also up to you to trust him. They're both faith. And so we can go to him and ask. And he's moved by his children. Mark 16, 17, and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. Hmm, that's, that's the Bible talking about what's to come for us. 
Now, by the way, it's not saying that you should pick up deadly snakes, right? I always tease and say my wife's a Pentecostal snake handler um, because she is not afraid of snakes. I mean, she, she, was, she you know, was born in Dallas, Oregon and lived there and out there in that farm country. She see a snake, she, she, she can tell what kind they are. I, they're all one kind to me, evil. That's what they are. Don't have to know a name. Evil, get away, you know. But she's not afraid. She'll just grab it. She knows what it is, and it'll wrap around her arm, and it, she'll hold its head, and it'll go, and I go, stop. But Karen would even tell you, not deadly snakes. And what this is saying really is, like Paul, when he was warming himself at a fire, and a deadly snake latched on, and he wasn't killed, he didn't do it on purpose. What the word is saying Hard things will happen where, where, where you should die, but God will protect you, not, you know, tempt, go ahead and tempt God and let a snake bite you. So the deal is, God will show up to deliver you from terrible circumstances. And here it says, when you lay hands on people who are sick, they'll get well. There are times that they're going to get well. We can't deny that faith is still a key element in seeing the healing power of God happen. God wills that we ask him and believe him for healing. He wills to show us himself mightily in this way. He wants us to rely on him more than any other. And then the third point today, Jesus wants us to reach out to receive his healing touch. He touched this woman in two ways. He brought her healing and he brought her peace. And he'll touch us in either or or both as we seek him. But he's always there for us. Mark 5.29, immediately she reached out and touched his garment. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that the healing power had gone out from him so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. Now, I don't, since Jesus is so- sovereign and he knows everything, it was for her own good that he said who did it. He, know who, he knew who did it. Uh, but he wanted the, her testimony to come forward. And so she started to speak. And look what it said, verse 34. It's not on the screen for you, but I, 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 it, it somehow didn't get in there, but I need to read it. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. She reached out to Jesus and he touched her with healing and peace. I think it's interesting as we think of faith to look at verse 33. Trembling at the realization of what had happened. That doesn't even sound like she really had that much faith. (laughs) I mean, she did reach, but I I mean, it's like she prayed and she's going, you're kidding me, it happened. I can't believe it happened. Well, if you had, you know, faith that was unshakable, you'd say, I knew it was gonna happen. But see, she had just enough faith. The Bible says the faith of a grain of a mustard seed. Here's what I want you to think about when it comes to faith is a factor for healing. You cannot deny it. But it's faith in him and his goodness and his power. And here's what I would like you to think about. He'll even help you with your faith. You say, well, I may not have enough. He even gives a measure of faith. There's a boy with an evil spirit in Mark 9, 20 through 27. Um, And in verse 22 of Mark 9, the dad is talking. 
And he says, have mercy on us and help us if you can. So he says to Jesus, dad does, help us if you can. And Jesus says to him, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible for the person who believes. And the father instantly cried out, I do believe. Now listen to what the father says. But help me overcome my unbelief. Now, word of faith would say, oh, don't say unbelief in the same sentence with your prayer. I mean, like he's honest to God and saying, I believe, but I kind of don't believe. Help. That's kind of us, isn't it? Really? And of course, you know what Jesus did. He said, you said unbelief, and he drop kicked him in the next week and said, Not, no healing for you and no dessert today, buddy. Now, he didn't do that, did he? Do you know what Jesus did after, right after the guy says, help my unbelief? Do you know what Jesus did? He delivered that boy with a prayer. I want you to know that Jesus helps my unbelief and he helps yours too. And that we can cry out to him and say, I don't understand, help my faith. Maybe your faith is not to trust him in this progressive long thing that's getting dragged out and you're saying, why? I'm just telling you, 10 years from now, you'll know. You'll see. You won't see it today or tomorrow, perhaps, but trust him. Ask him to help your unbelief. And if you need healing and you can't find any faith anywhere, just say, Lord, would you help my belief? In a few moments, we're gonna come to this altar and we're gonna pray for healing. I've asked some of the people in this church who know God, love God, and believe in prayer to do just what the word says, to anoint with oil. By the way, we read that scripture. It says, have the the leaders anoint with oil and pray over you. The oil is a sign of the Holy Spirit and God's healing in in the Old Testament and in the New. And so all it's doing is is when we apply that oil, it may seem a little weird and ritualistic, but it actually said to do it in the Bible. We're saying, God, we're asking that your healing would come. And this is just a sign that helps us towards faith with healing. And I would like you to come if if you need prayer for yourself, for your body, for healing. You say, do you pray for everything to be healed? I do. But then I try to trust if it doesn't come the way I'd hope because he's good and he knows and he may have purpose beyond my understanding. But I just want to start by believing him that he's good and, he, and, and asking him to heal and then trust him. Someone said to me, well, you'd pray for a 95-year-old guy on his deathbed to be healed? I said, probably, yeah. Well, he's had a good life. I go, well, what if he has another three years of good life? If the Lord decides to take him, I can, I can rejoice in the Lord's will and celebrate life that's happened and that the guy was with us. But I just, I want to have faith to believe and faith to trust. And that's what we're going to do when you come down today. Now, I'd like you to take out, there's a bulletin insert, just black and white, it says divine healing on it. This is a little different than what I normally do. I think this is some, something that can help you if you're leaning too much one way or the other. You're into a faith formula or, or, or you can't find faith yourself. One of the things that helps us with faith is to read the scriptures, right? Any, any, any Christian leader you find that is encouraging you to get in the word is doing a good thing. Because you get in the word and it'll, the word will help you more than I can help you. I'm trying to get you to the word. But this is about divine healing and it's an excerpt rather from the Full Life Study Bible by Donald Stamps. If I had one book, it would be the Bible that I would want. But if I had one commentary Bible, it'd be the Full Life Study Bible. Because I'm just, I just want to throw that out there. Because uh, I just believe that the Lord used this guy in an incredible way. There's, and he believes that the gifts are for today, but there's balance in it. 
and not stupidity that wounds people. And, and so I want to read this to you and I want to encourage you. I'm going to give you a homework ex- assignment that I am not going to follow up on. That is perfect, isn't it? Because if, if you don't do it, then you can still not have to feel guilty. But I think if you would look at these things and then read the scriptures behind them, that something of balance and something of faith will come to you. And especially if you're in a place right now where you're asking God to give you a measure of faith because you're in a trial and you're praying for a miracle, I'd like you to read this and pour over these scriptures. So let me go through it real quick. Hold it in your hand and look at it so it doesn't get too terribly boring here. But know that these are words of life because it leads you to the truth of the scriptures. First thing Stamp says is, when you're looking for healing, be sure you're in a right relationship with God and others. And you see scripture that gives evidence to that. Two, seek the presence of Jesus in your life. For it is he who will give your heart the faith you need. Three, saturate your life in God's word. Scriptural precedent right behind it. Four, if you're not finding healing, continue to remain in him. Examine your life to see what changes God may desire to work in you. Five, call for the prayers of the elders of the church with the anointing of oil, as well as the prayers of family members and friends. And there's that scripture I read to you this morning. Six, attend a service where a person with the respected healing ministry is present. God says he gives apostles in the Bible. God says that he gives those with the gift of, gifts of healing. Some people have the special belief for certain things and God seems to work to them and it's okay to, to know someone that's respected and, and works that way. And by the way, I can tell you a few people like that in this church that aren't, that aren't ministers. That's, I think that the Lord has made this gift come alive in them more so than in others. But it's, it, look at the scriptures there and, and, and read it. And, and you can see for yourself. Seven, expect a miracle. Trust in Christ's power. Eight, rejoice if healing comes this day. And here's what I'm telling you today. Rejoice if it does not come in the present hour. Scripture for that. Nine, know that God's delays in answering prayers are not necessarily denials for those requests. Twelve years this lady waited in this passage we're looking at. Perhaps he answers in a different way, but he brings victory and miracles beyond your greatest expectation. Sometimes God has a larger purpose in mind that when realized results in his greater glory. That's kind of what I've been trying to say to you today as well. And then 10, realize if you're a committed Christian, God will never forsake you or forget you. He loves you so much that he's engraved you on the palm of his hands. I tell you what, if you don't realize how much he loves you, if you don't start there, your feelings will go astray and awry. You have to know how much he loves you or you won't believe that his heart's towards you to give him, to give you all that you need. He does love you. Every one of you, no matter how many mistakes you've made, I know from experience because I've made a lot of mistakes and he just kept loving me. And the more he loves me, out of a heart of love for him, I want to make less and less mistakes. Then the last note there, the Bible acknowledges the proper use of medical care. Very important to know that it's biblical to seek even medical care. It's all right. You can see scriptural precedent for that. 